Uh, my name's Paul, I'm with my wife Becky. We lead the church here, I lead the team. And um, I thought tonight, you know, it's really tempting on Easter to argue for the resurrection, but I don't think we need to. When you hear about 10 people's lives have been changed, and I know from talking to them that they have encountered the love and the peace of Jesus. Some of them have heard the audible voice of Jesus. They've been touched by his power. They've been freed from addictions. You know, God has done so many amazing things in their life. They almost don't really need to argue for the resurrection because clearly Jesus is alive and at work today. But what I want to do today is um, look back to the first Easter and listen to some of the first lives that Jesus changed, the one life in particular, because I think there's some really interesting things. You know, we could tell stories of what God has done in our life all night, and that would be really powerful. But it is the same Lord Jesus who rose from the dead. You'll probably know the Easter is, uh, story is the celebration of Jesus defeating death, bursting forth from the empty tomb, and beginning or continuing to do his ministry of saving and healing. And so we're going to look at one of the first eyewitness testimonies, um, which is um, in John chapter 20. If you want to follow in the Bibles, it's page 1089. And I'm going to be reading from verse 24. Now, just to set this up, on the day that Jesus rose, a number of people encountered him that very first day. So there was the disciples, uh, Mary in the garden first, and then a couple of disciples on the road to Emmaus. They were going for a walk away from Jerusalem, and they met Jesus. And then the disciples were in the upper room. Jesus came and was amongst them. The door was locked, but he just suddenly appeared amongst them. Except one of the disciples wasn't there. And that's the disciple known as Thomas. So I'm going to read from verse 24 of John 20. Now Thomas, also known as the twin, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. Thomas said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and then put my hand into his side where the spear had gone, I will not believe. A week later, so this is a week after Resurrection Sunday, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were again locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. None of the people who are baptized tonight have seen Jesus with their human eyes. Every single one of them knows that Jesus is alive. But just think back, because there's so much buried in that little story. And one of the things that really struck me as I was reading it earlier this week was... Why did Jesus rise from the dead bearing wounds? I mean, surely if you're going to rise from the dead and you're going to be given, as we'll hear, a new and a transformed body, you could kind of do away with the scars. But I think there are three really special things in this story. So firstly, Jesus' wounds are the ultimate proof that it is the same person, that the person who's standing there as a resurrected being is the one who was on the cross. He still bears the marks of his suffering. 
And in the gospel accounts of the resurrection, Jesus often wasn't um, recognized at first. So whether it was Mary, Mary thought, well, she thought he was the gardener because she met him in the garden where the tomb was. Or the disciples on the road to Emmaus, so this man was walking with them and he was explaining everything from the Bible, how, how it had to happen that way and how it had been prophesied centuries before. But they didn't recognize him until they actually came to the point where they broke bread together and as Jesus broke the bread, they suddenly realized who he was and he disappeared from their sight. Or the disciples who weren't sure what to do next, so they'd just gone back to their regular jobs and they'd gone off fishing. And then Jesus appeared to them. And they didn't realize at first it was him. Uh, you, you could say that all that Jesus had been through would obviously change his appearance, if you think about it. So he'd been in agony in the Garden of Gethsemane on the Thursday night. And he'd sweat drops of blood. And then he'd been kept up all night and put through false trials and accusation. And he'd been, he'd been beaten and shamefully treated. He'd been struck and he'd been whipped. He was scourged, which was almost enough to bring most people to death. Then he'd been forced to carry his cross, and then he'd been crucified. He'd had that, that experience of, of six hours of suffocation, which is essentially what happens with crucifixion. You, you haven't got the energy to push yourself up anymore to take a breath. With all that Jesus had been through, not surprising, you might think he'd changed, but it, but it was more than that. It wasn't just that he looked different. He he was changed. He was transformed. He was able, as we read in this story, in, in this resurrection body, he was able to pass through a locked door. He was able to appear in front of them. When they went to the tomb, the stone was rolled away. The, the stone wasn't rolled away for Jesus' sake because he could pass through locked doors. A stone wasn't a problem. The stone was rolled away for our sake so that we could see that the tomb was empty. So he had this same body, his wounds said that he was the same person, even though this body was transformed. The wounds are clear. This was a physical, it was a bodily resurrection. It's not a spiritual thing. It's not, it's not some sort of mystical, spiritual experience that people might have imagined. No, he had a body that could be touched, a body that could eat, though it didn't need to. A physical body like ours. This is the same Jesus that was on the cross. The second thing is that Jesus' wounds are the proof of his love. Now, I know occasionally people say things like, my scars are badges of honor. But by and large, you know, if you kind of ever cut yourself, most people say to the doctor, it's not going to leave a scar, is it? You know, most people don't want scars. But Jesus' scars are sources of eternal wonder for the angels in heaven. The angels gaze on the wounded Son of God and they cannot fathom the love that would take the Holy One from heaven to the brokenness of earth to endure such pain for, for us, for people like us who are so often so wrong, so often so undeserving of love because of the things that we do and yet are loved by God enough that he would endure all of that for our sake. Um, one of the reformers, the German theologian Martin Luther said, the problem with humanity and theologians, people who think about God in every religion just keep making the same mistake. People think that there's some basic continuity from the way that the world is and the way God is. That 
in the world, you win if you're more powerful, so therefore God must be even more powerful. And that's the way that they think of God and look for God. The problem is when you do that, you get God all wrong. Almost every religion thinks that God is somehow the almighty God. But, and he is, but that's not how he chose to reveal himself. God reveals himself best, and he does his greatest work for us ever, by doing the exact opposite of what we'd expect. On the cross, which is a symbol of, of brokenness and defeat and woundedness, powerlessness, on the cross, God triumphs over sin and evil by allowing sin and evil seemingly to triumph over him. His real strength and his great love is demonstrated in apparent weakness. And ultimately, God deals with sin, not because it hurts him, though it does, but by suffering with us because it hurts us. He deals with sin because it hurts us. And to show his understanding of that and his solidarity with that, he's willing to endure those wounds. And so those wounds are proofs of his love. And that's what leads us to the third point, because Jesus' wounds are proof that this was always God's plan. The cross wasn't an accident, it was necessary and it was planned. As I already said, it was prophesied in the Old Testament many, many times in many places, centuries before, seven, eight hundred, nine hundred years before Jesus was born. And at the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation shows us a glimpse of heaven and in the, in the center of the picture is the Lamb of God, the Lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. So even before God put creation into place, it was always the plan of God that he would come and suffer and die for us because he knew that if he gave us freedom, it would go wrong and then he would need to come into that to save us. From our perspective, God dying on a cross is a strange, strange thing. But from his perspective, it's just what he does. He's always been sacrificing himself for us. Never changed and being raised with his wounds just underlies that point. And we know now, if you've ever read your Bible and you've been a Christian for a while, you know that it says that Jesus is praying for us in heaven. And he's not, up, he's not just lifting up holy hands when he, when he prays for us in heaven. He's lifting up wounded hands. He's showing his scars to his Father as he prays for us. When we put all these things together, Jesus rising from the dead with wounds still visible connects his resurrection to us. It tells us that he had a body like ours and he didn't leave it behind at death. He didn't just kind of like drift off and become a spirit as if these bodies don't really matter and all that really matters is some spiritual thing that you might or may not have or see. Our bodies aren't bad there's still continuity. Jesus took on human flesh, and that means our bodies aren't bad. And the fact that he rose with human flesh, even more so, means that our bodies are good. God, for some reason, loves these little temples, and he longs to redeem them, not leave them behind. So your body matters. And it means as well, if Jesus is wounded when he raises, and then he's not ashamed in any way of identifying with us on the cross, even though he who had no sin became sin for us, he did it willingly. He willingly embraced everything about us 
in love. The worst bits of the worst ones of all of us. He willingly took all that onto himself in love. Sacrifice wasn't something that he did once and then moved on and started a different plan. He remains the one who pleads for us in heaven, who prays for us eternally, showing his wounds to the Father. He didn't leave his incarnation behind as if it was a regrettable but necessary, slightly distasteful few years where the pure spirit God needed to become a bit physical for a while and get messy. And once he took on our flesh, he didn't leave it behind, but he took it back into heaven to the Father. He's opened the way for us to be transformed. One with flesh like us has gone into glory with the Father forever. So the cross screams love and the resurrection shouts victory. And that means in this life, you don't need to be afraid. You don't need to worry about your bodies. You don't need to worry about your future. It's going to be all right in the end. And if it's not all right, it's not the end. Put your faith and your trust in Jesus. Put your, your trust in Jesus for this life. There's a great preacher of a couple of centuries ago now called um, Spurgeon. And he said, I have never met a believer who on his deathbed regretted being a Christian. Never regret being a Christian. Ultimately, every single one of us is going to discover that our bodies fail, that we come to the end of our limited, frail little lives. But actually, we know that one like us is now in the Father's glory with a transformed body and a new life. And a life that can never be taken away. A life that cannot be conquered. So Jesus is risen from the dead. He's, he's continuing to reach out in love. He's praying for us. He's opened the way for us. And he invites us to put our faith and trust in him. Baptism is a, a symbol of fully identifying with that. It's about dying to your old life and rising to a new one. It's about coming into Jesus and then coming up to live in that new life that he makes possible. If you don't know that tonight, we'd love to invite you to experience it. We're going to share a communion in a few moments. It's a simple way of us remembering what it cost for Jesus to open the door. Jesus gave us bread and wine. And when he did that on the Thursday before he died with the disciples, what he said to the disciples was, do this to remember me. Remember that my body like this bread was broken. Remember that my blood like this wine was poured out. And so as we do it, we remember what it costs, but also we call it a communion because we get to meet with him. We can feed ourselves on him through faith. So we'd love to invite you, even if you've never taken communion before, if you'd like to be touched by his love, if you'd like to be touched by his sacrifice, we'd like to invite you to take the bread and the wine. And then if you want, there'll be an opportunity to be prayed for. The team will be at the back of church, so be very discreet, and there'll be people there who'd love to pray with you, particularly if you've never met him before, but you'd like to tonight. So can I invite you to stand? We're going to have a song of worship, and we're going to set up. But as we do that, I want to lead us in a prayer.
Let's close our eyes for a moment. We don't want to be distracted by anything else because tonight, even if you've come with other people, even if you've come for somebody, it's no accident that you're here. God knew that you would be. God drew you here. He wants to meet with you. So Holy Spirit, I ask you to reveal Jesus to each one of us in a way that we can understand. I ask that each one of us tonight would be touched by something of his love. That we'd experience the peace that passes understanding. That we'd know the love that holds us fast. We'd find a stirring in our spirit that speaks of, of hope. Or we'd sense your presence, your holy presence moving amongst us. We would tonight feel called to give everything that we are and everything we have to you because we know in you is this hope of the new and transformed life, a life that isn't going to ultimately fail and fade, but a life that will go on forever into glory. Meet us tonight, Lord Jesus, we pray. We open our hearts wide and we say, Lord, come.